Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the one and only Tottenham Hotspur theme show that's brought to you each week by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. This week is brought to you by a couple of marginally less miserable Spurs fans and a considerably more miserable Leeds fan called Dave. But we won't get into the reasons why in too much detail because we are here to talk about Spurs and a particularly controversial win against Brighton, an important win in our race for scraping into the top four that we're going to talk about as well as looking ahead to our upcoming game against Bournemouth and taking stock of the season as a whole and to help me do that as always is the usual team of Dave and Elio welcome them both back I will come to you first Dave I know you really would not like to be talking about football right now I imagine the last couple of days have been pretty tricky but um, how are you feeling you've made it you're here you're a true professional and I thank you for it hello everyone yes uh, <laughs> I'm here I watched the Leeds game yesterday with my mother-in-law, who, as you I might remember, ask about is a that. Palace fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was... Um, annoyingly, I was actually travelling on the way home, so I missed the Leeds goal. I only got in for us to start conceding goals, oh, basically. No. Uh, so maybe it's my fault, and, and I will carry the can for that for the rest of my days. <laughs> Well, I salute you for making it onto the podcast because we all know what it's like. I mean, it's, it's hard enough coming on here to talk about Spurs when we've won, let alone when we've lost. But yeah, but well done for making it here. And same to you, Elio. Welcome back. I know you're still trying to find things to be thankful for as we approach the end of the season. And three points against a very good Brighton side is something to be thankful for, whether or not you think we deserved it. Controversies aside, we'll get into all of that. How are you feeling right now? <laughs> You're not feeling great, are you? <laughs> well, I'm not feeling great from a health perspective. Whether or not yeah. it's Spurs inflicted or not is yeah. another matter. I'm feeling much the same as I have recently in that I'm just kind of looking forward to the season being up now. We're going to finish somewhere between fourth and seventh, probably fourth and sixth, now that Brighton result has taken place. In fact, realistically, it looks like we're nailed on for fifth because the teams mm. ahead of us are better than us and the teams behind us are worse than us. So... <laughs> Almost, what's way. the point let's fast forward to May the 28th and hopefully a very boring day on the beach for both <laughs> Spurs and Leeds <laughs> I think we just lost about 20 listeners in the last five seconds. Come on, people, stay here. There's still a lot to play for, right? Fourth is still within our grasp. So we're going to proceed on the basis that we still have some hope and there is something to look forward to in the season. And speaking of things to look forward to, I'm looking forward to talking about this game because it was an eventful game, if nothing else, and a very important win, a nice victory against a team that we focused on last week and said that they had a really good record in mm-hmm. general, but particularly away from home. And Elio, you rightly pointed out that Spurs' home record should not be over either and so it came to be another three points another victory a 2-1 win quite simply do you think we deserve to win that game no um, I don't think we deserve (laughs) to win that game but equally I think people are going a little bit overboard about how much we didn't deserve to win that game there have been (laughs) far bigger robberies in the history of football than this one so I think yeah I think on the day we didn't play particularly well because it's us, we never play particularly well. But equally, I don't see that this was 
such a shock on the balance of play now. Absolutely. I think I'd have to agree on that. Though the stats would paint a picture of a slightly unlucky Brighton, even before we look at the yeah, controversial incident. Yeah, unlucky Brighton, but not this, the Premier League are trying to yeah. keep everybody out of the big six conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theory that we're getting. We will go into that, of course. I'm sure they will have some thoughts on that as well. 17 shots, four on target, 65% possession to Brighton, seven corners. I know you like corners, Elio, to R3. And they completed nearly twice as many passes as us, but didn't do them a lot of good. Dave, I know you've been on the receiving end, or should I say the giving end of some stats like that and had a similar outcome to Brighton in the past. I know Leeds are specialists in showing up the stat book, but from what you've seen, do you think that Brighton have a right to feel quite as aggrieved? And I mean including all the controversial incidents that we'll get onto. If you're a Brighton fan right now, would you be feeling about as happy as you are as a Leeds fan? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, yeah, they had some good chances. They played pretty well. They obviously will talk through all of the things that happened, but, but you know, spoiler alert, you know, they scored one and they, they maybe should have had a second with a penalty and, um, well, they definitely should have really. Mm-hmm. And Matoma, you know, yes, he handled it and I think he knew yeah. that he handled it, but at the same time, I think I've seen people score those goals. So, you know, there's every chance that that could have been given on another day yeah. and, and I think ultimately you know Brighton have had a great season are having a great season the wheels won't fall off at this point I think they know exactly what they're doing they've got an identity I don't think Brighton fans have a lot to be upset about and yeah one result didn't go their way but on to the next one and I, I put money on them winning it yeah, I probably would follow you on that one. I count no fewer than four controversial incidents that we're going to have to pick apart. So we'll get onto those, but we'll work through bit by bit. We'll go through in chronological order, uh, like the true pros that we are. But um, first of all, team sheet, Elio, it's more of the same, isn't it? I think we can agree now that this is the team, more or less, that we're going to see between now and the end of the season until we get a new manager, right? I don't expect we're going to see anything too drastic change between now and the summer. It does seem that way, which... <laughs> annoying but who knows I did say last time that it's not just about the formation and the players on the pitch it's about the attitude that they go out with and while I don't think we played particularly well I do think that there was more of a press more aggression and a better attitude from us than we have seen recently against a very good side who are very good away from home and play probably the second best football in the league after Manchester City so I think while we didn't play particularly well we definitely did show a little bit more by way of attitude than we have done for a long time. Absolutely. Well, before the several controversial incidents, the disallowed goals, the handballs, sideline ruckuses, etc., the first real point of note was our opening goal. And it was a wonderful goal by Son Hyun Min. And oh, I would describe as probably a trademark Sonny goal, which um, that's too good to be your trademark goal, isn't it? It's not fair when you can <laughs> score a goal like that and someone can say that's a classic Son goal. I mean, that's that's a classic Messi goal or Gareth Bale goal or Iron Robin goal. Uh, and it, it appears that Son is in that bracket when it comes to the kind of shot you can expect from him. I think when you score 100 goals in the Premier League, then you can have a classic goal that's uh, in your vein. And I think that was one of those where it was right in front of me as well. Son cut in from in front of me to curl his foot around the shot and you just knew as he was pulling back what was going to happen. It was one of those where you'd have been surprised if it hadn't gone in and... Credit to him. It was a really, really lovely goal. It's his 100th goal in Premier League football as well. First Asian. To, all right. He's the only Asian forward that's been anywhere any, near any as good. talented yeah. as he is in this league. But yeah, first Asian footballer to hit that mark in the Premier League. So he should be really, really happy with himself. And funny thing is, and I think I said this a while ago, but then his form tailed off again. If he can at least 
keep his his boots facing the right direction for the remaining seven matches, then seven or eight matches, whatever it is, then you wouldn't bet against him getting double figures in the league, which in what has been a poor season by his standards is not to be sniffed at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that whole class is permanent form of temporary thing, isn't it? Um, it's nice to give Harry Kane a little bit of a break from the limelight, although he will come back into this podcast sooner or later. But it's nice to focus on Son a little bit because, you know, he sometimes falls in the shadow of Big Harry. But Dave, what do you make of Son? It's as good a chance as any to to just look back on Son as at his career as he gets towards, I guess, his twilight years. 100 Premier League goals now, amazing landmark, brilliant player. Where do you think he sits in the best players we've seen in the last sort of five, ten years in the Premier League for you in terms of forwards? Because he is hit and miss. He's had his brilliant seasons. He's had his brilliant games. But where does he factor in for you when we're looking at the best to have done it in recent times? I think his failing, if you can call it that, is that he was in the same team as Harry Kane Um, (laughs) and therefore ultimately always lived in Kane's shadow apart from one season last season where he quite rightly emerged from the shadow to win the golden boot. I think he's an excellent forward and has been an excellent forward for Spurs pretty much I mean, how long how long did it take for him to really get any stride in the team, Elio? You probably know that better than me anyway. Did it take him two seasons to get used to, to, sec- to it? Or his did second it take him season, he was already firing. It was the year that we fought with Chelsea for the title. He got 14 goals that year off the wing with Deli Alley scoring, I think... 19 or something crazy like that and Harry Kane getting nearly 30 so I mean yeah. that's also a very good indication as to why we're nowhere near as good now as we were back then to tell you the truth mm. because if Son's scoring 14 goals that season Deli Ali's scoring 18 and Harry Kane's getting 29 I think it was I think it was 1 of 30 that season and now we're just not hitting those numbers then no wonder we fall as far as we've fallen the thing is with Son is that first season side, first season was pure betting in, 22-year-old, new to the league, be patient with him. He actually wanted to leave the summer after his first season, Pochettino convinced him not to. Um, the thing is, I just feel he has kind of had the same season every single season in terms of level of all-round game, performance, mm. runs made, touches. I think if you look at all his stats except for goals, he'll have had seven very similar seasons in a row, including both last season, which was his best, and this, which is his worst since that first season the difference has always been how many he scores last season was the first time that he was consistent in front of goal which is why he won the golden boot this season Mm. kind of reverted a little bit back to the pre-last season where it's been more streaky and in fact actually unfortunately not even good streaks the streaks have been long phases of the season without goals so I think he's he's not particularly dipped and I'd still want to see him around us next season yeah, and I will not pass up an opportunity to reel out these old records again and say that him and Kane have combined for more goals than anyone else, narrowly edging out Drogba and Lampard with 37 goal contributions and counting. And in fact, they actually had the most in a single season as well. I don't know if we shouted that out, but 2021, Kane and Son combined for 14 goals, which is uh, pretty outstanding. So well done to both of those, but particularly Son this time. Elio, do you have a favourite Son goal? Definitely two that jumped to mind immediately that I think are front runners. <laughs> it's hard to go with anything other than Chelsea and Burnley. Yeah, those are the two. Which one would you pick? Which one did you enjoy more? I think the Chelsea one just because even though it wasn't passed yeah. quite as many players or from quite as far away, it was, was against it was against Chelsea. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know, because it was the first time he'd done something like that, it just made it that... The Burnley one almost... It was almost a... 
we knew you were going to do that eventually. Don't say it's predictable. <laughs> Not predictable. <but laughs> no, no player running past an entire team is predictable. No, but it was almost like a, we've kind of been waiting for you to do that one day, whereas the Chelsea <laughs> one was just yeah. the first time you'd seen him really put on the afterburners in that way. Yeah. But in, in the now eight seasons that Kane and Son have played together, including this, they've I think Kane has scored, what is he on now altogether for us? 206 league goals for us. So he is scored 82 sorry 182 goals in the time that Son has scored 100 that's 282 goals between those two players in eight seasons that is incredible that is is incredible that is an absolutely ridiculous are you sure on those stats earlier I mean that that sounds pretty amazing (laughs) and I would I wouldn't wouldn't shock me I'm going to take your word for it and not check it up but anyway that's very well done from Son between the two of them they're averaging 35 a season Case in point, the, be- the, the best, re- the last really good partnership we had before them was probably Keenan Berbatov. They averaged at 30 combined a season across the two seasons. So easier to get yeah. big numbers in a small sample size as well. 35 on average between the two of them across the past eight seasons is ridiculous. Well, fantastic effort from Son. And I'm sure he's got more in the tank yet and more goals to come. A man who might be eyeing up long term his record as the highest ever Asian goal scorer in the Premier League currently. Mitama, who's had an excellent season, was in the limelight next. He had a goal disallowed for handball in the end. At first, I thought it was offside. It was clearly onside. It was for a handball. Nice goal, actually, if you take out the fact that he obviously handled it on the way in. Lovely ball in, good finish. But first of all, Dave, are we saying that that was a fair decision? The goal shouldn't have stood? It was a it was a handball? It was a handball. And I feel like Mitoma's um, celebration or non-celebration, yeah, lukewarm celebration, I think he knew that that was going to get chalked off. Um, um, but like mm. you said, yeah, it was it was a good move, and I, and I think it's an element of dark arts. By I think it was it Romero who was running with the little him? push. A little, Give him a little push, bit of a shove. which pushed him yeah. a bit too far ahead, which meant that Matoma had to reach back, which means that he hit, yeah. he, he got it with his arm. But I mean, uh, that's mm. 4D chess, and I'm not sure Romero is that smart. Gary never would have been proud of that one, wouldn't he? He likes the little push that you can get away with. He always comments on that. Um, Elio, I'm glad Dave brought up Romero actually because I want to get your thoughts on him generally throughout the game because I think that even if you if, if you factor in the fact that he was a little bit clever and, and maybe just got away with that one, it was probably the only time he really lost Matoma properly in the whole game, and and Price he singled him out last week and said that he was a little bit concerned that Romero would have his hands full on that side with Mitoma running at him. He's obviously a very good one-on-one attacker. Um, How do you think Romero did in general for this game with that particular challenge? Um, I mean, small nudge, but you never know. If Mitoma had gone down, he might have actually got a penalty for it. Probably not based on this game. Well, quite. Probably wouldn't have got a penalty. um, I I think Romero was all right. I don't think he was cause any more trouble than anyone else's by Matoma. I think Romero yeah. had quite a good game actually and in mm. terms of the goal I think like Dave says Matoma's reaction kind of said it all anyway what, what, yeah, I, what yeah. I would say is that and this is why I think it is fair that there's slightly different rules applied to defensive handballs in the box and attacking handballs yeah. in the box with defensive handball in the box it's not necessarily stopping a goal scoring opportunity but with an attacking one you've got to think yeah. would that goal have been scored had he not handled it and no, I think he would. Exactly. And this goal mm. would have never been scored by that handball. I'd say the same of the second handball, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute as well. Yeah. And what I'd also say is VAR actually, maybe by fluke rather than design, did do its job there because the linesman had flagged the handball. And even if 
it's hard to tell whether it actually was a handball or not. There is definitely not any angle that shows that the linesman was wrong to flag handball there. Mm-hmm. So if VAR is meant to just yeah. correct an obvious error, there was no obvious error there for the linesman. Yeah, the ones that are hard to stomach are where it just kind of grazes somebody's arm in the build-up to an attack and in the goal, which wouldn't have actually made any difference. And it's that whole kind of strict liability, that's the law, get over it kind of thing. Whereas this one wasn't like that, was it? And then neither, like you said, the one where Welbeck's goal was allowed later on, same thing again. I think you have to say it did actually change the way the goal was scored and it wouldn't have happened had it not had that contact. So actually a good decision there, I would say, on that occasion, certainly. Moving on from that, so I guess there were a couple of chances for Brighton. Hugo Lloris actually made a couple of nice saves in the aftermath to that goal. One of them tipped onto the post, another with a couple of shots from range. It takes me on to Hugo generally, Elio. What are your thoughts at the moment on a goalkeeper situation? Because I think we're all in agreement that next season, nobody wants to see Hugo Lloris as our starting goalkeeper. I don't think anyone wants to see Fred Forster as a starting goalkeeper. I think a goalkeeper replacement is very much on the agenda. But for the next seven, eight games or whatever it is left in the season, if you were in charge, would you be saying to Hugo, look, you've been a great servant, absolute club hero, thank you for everything, but it's time to step down now. We need somebody else in goal. Or do you think he's the best choice? I think Fraser did very little wrong to warrant getting dropped for Hugo Lloris. And mm. Hugo Lloris in the build-up to his injury was doing a lot wrong where he could have been dropped just on form anyway. So I think Force yeah. is a bit unlucky not to be in the team right now. That said... Two 35-year-old goalkeepers, neither is at the peak of their powers. Hugo yeah. was clearly the better goalkeeper at his peak than Fraser at his peak. And last season, we were roundly praising Hugo for being amongst the best couple of goalkeepers in the league. So mm. I understand why Lloris is getting the shirt for the final run. Agree or not, we're judging Forster over the basis of seven games where he still wasn't perfect so yeah. I'm loath to say that I'd rather see Forster in there but I also wouldn't be disappointed yeah. if that makes sense it's those shots like the one that Caicedo shot from range where Hugo just kind of got a fingertip and tipped it onto the post you can't help feeling that maybe Forster wouldn't have got down quick enough to make that save even with the extra reach it's, it's moments like that that remind you that yeah Hugo has, he has still got a lot to offer even if he probably should be replaced <laughs> in the near future arguably Hugo was somewhat at fault with his positioning on Brian Bryson's goal, according to some, I'm not sure I would agree, but there have been some criticisms of his positioning. But I think probably the best place to start when it comes to the Lewis Dunk header from a corner is Dave's old buddy, Zonal Marking. I'm now allowed back into the WhatsApp group after my time out of it with my phone being replaced. And um, I saw Elio ironically cheering for our Zonal Marking system, which obviously left the big man at the back post completely unmarked for a free header to equalise. Dave... <laughs> What's going on there? T- tell me about that goal. What happened? When everybody's head apart from the tallest man on the pitch, he was yeah. completely unmarked and headed it into the goal. You know, yeah. simple stuff, really. I mean, to say that, you know, there was penalty claims, arguably Tottenham getting a bit too close in, in mm. some set pieces. To be that far away from their tallest, best person in the air is quite yeah. impressive. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a shambles, wasn't it? Elio, I know you've made no secret of your thoughts about this whole approach before. It's not the first time we've sat here and talked about a set-piece goal where the big threat, I think Ivan Tony scored one similar, didn't he, against us, and you know, just leaving the main aerial threat completely unmarked and people standing around staring at each other. What would you do in that situation? It's Harry ridiculous. Kane on I, I, <laughs> Harry Kane, um, yeah. 
Longley, maybe Dyer. Yeah. Any, but, yeah. Just someone. That's Even the point, Hoybier, right? just, just someone yeah. to make it not easy for him. He was unmarked mm. from two yards away from the goal. I mean, you can't blame Hugo for that. I mean, at yeah. the point that Dunk's heading it, it's impossible to know whether he's going to head it down, whether he's going to head it near post, whether he's going to head it far post. Yeah. You can't blame the goalie for that. It's, yeah. it's just from that a, range. It's just yeah. a ridiculous system. I mean, I almost think the only way zonal marking could work is if you also gave the goalkeeper, none of the defenders, but the goalkeeper, an explicit instruction to just come for every single cross from a corner. So that at yeah. least that way you had the failsafe of if it goes towards someone who is unmarked when they shouldn't be, then at least the goalkeeper who's likely yeah. to be a six foot two, three plus person himself will be rampaging at him like a madman too. And as we know, you can't really have fouls against goalkeepers anyway. Fouls are only given in favour of goalkeepers. So it might even be playing to the stupid officials we have in this country too if we do it that way but I just don't understand why we persist with a system that keeps getting shown up as a load of bollocks I mean you can say that about so many things we implement during the match but (laughs) we insist on persisting with yeah exactly just to clarify on that comment about goalkeepers I see you've forgotten about the uh, assault on Elan Melier that didn't get punished against Spurs I mean, I I you, have you, about, you have forgotten as well. <laughs> <laughs> I admit that it doesn't, it doesn't, that it doesn't agree with my narrative. Okay. Move on. I completely forgot. I have no shame admitting I completely forgot that happened, Dave. You're going to have to remind me. You're going to have to send me uh, a clip of that because I don't remember it. I've moved on from that. No one cares when, no when little teams like Leeds get, you know. <laughs> it's only when huge Titans like Brighton have bad decisions go against them that everyone True goes that. up in arms and starts talking about the game being replayed. Next on, speaking of that, was Welbeck's goal that was disallowed. Again, another one that was ruled out of a handball and quite a nice goal. Nice little bit of skill. Not convinced the ball would have gone in had it not taken the touch off of, I think it was McAllister's He's going to work, Hugo was di- diving, so the only way it would yeah. have gone in would have been a goalkeeping mistake. Yeah. Goal doesn't happen without the handball. It's not a goal. I, I don't care how much Brighton yeah. want to cry Wolf over that one. It- it's not a goal. It's one of those things, isn't it, where when a lot of decisions go against a team, even if they're the right decision, the pressure starts to mount, doesn't it? And then, you know, everyone that goes against them, they can have three goals rightly disallowed and they start feeling like everything's going against them, even though it's just the rules being Well, listen, we're no strangers to a bit of conspiracy theory on this podcast, (laughs) namely from myself, admittedly. So I'm not going to to begrudge the Brighton fans their moment to put the tinfoil on. But as far Mm. as I'm concerned... I don't care. I just don't care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can believe that. Well, look, up until up until this point, and, and I say up until this point for a reason, I don't think there were any grossly incorrect decisions made. I do think it did change as the game goes on. We'll get to discuss this and see mm. what you think. But the next real incident was something you had a front row seat for, Elio, which was the histrionics on the sideline and a little bit of handbags going on between our respective coaching teams. I didn't see how it started because the pictures I saw only really cut to it when it was midway through. Did you have any insight into what happened? how it all started because it, it all seemed to be in the wake of that whole disallowed Welbeck so goal wasn't it what I heard after the match was that Stellini had made some kind of comments about Deserby in the pre-match that Deserby did not enjoy so I've looked this up just to sort of see what was said, and I still don't see anything for Deserby to be that uptight about. He was complimentary about the football that Deserby was playing, about how Brighton were playing. He was saying that they're very, very good side. It was all decent stuff. The only thing he did say was that Deserby inherited a very well cut 
well-coached side, which is true. Deserby did inherit a very well-coached side yeah. from Graham Potter. So something tells me in his second game in management, someone who's actually quite humble and always holds himself as I'm just an assistant, isn't mm. going to start trying playing up minds games with the Brighton manager of all people. But who knows? Maybe he was, but Deserby clearly didn't like it. He was uh, mouthing off at Stellini pre-match. And then I looked to my right and all of a sudden, every single coach and a few subs are getting into a mass sort of shoving match. It was <laughs> yeah. uh, it was quite something. During it, everyone when, except Stellini, I should everyone have, who was standing Stellini. there. Very quietly, minding his own business, looking away. Yet he still got a red card mm. alongside Deserby, which was slightly bizarre. Before the match, Alistair Gold, who who is obviously always very close to Spurs and close to the press yeah. conference and reports word for word everything that happened, actually commented on what Stilling had said about Deserby, and he said, "I don't think he could have been any more complimentary about Deserby." Yeah. We all, we being the journalists, we all walked away from it, and honestly, absolutely honestly, this is not revising it with hindsight or anything honest truth as soon as the press conference finished various journalists we all said to each other wow that was a better interview for Deserby than Deserby could have done himself if he wanted the job because he really Stellini raved about him glowing reports about the way he coaches everything so I really don't understand why Deserby was so uptight and why he was picking a fight pre-kickoff I just don't get it I feel like you need to have like almost the the web of who they played for and who they managed through their careers in Italy yeah. to see if their paths ever crossed and you know one of them gave them a look <laughs> once yeah <laughs> you know when, when uh, Deserby shagged Delini's wife or vice versa or, or, or at some that, point or the, obvi- or the obvious uh, Italian manager <laughs> was it you saying about Italian managers and their wives last week Elio yeah anyway moving on before we um, have any more lawsuits against us um, so at this point it's one all, and it's probably fairly one all in terms of the decisions at least and then there's the next big controversial moment which is the first one that I think actually Bryson had a significant claim for and it was the penalty shout on Mitoma Poiberg from the pictures you can see it looks like he stood on his foot in the box he went down and the penalty was not given it was looked over by VAR very quickly and waved away uh, Dave what did you make of this incident was that a penalty um, well I'm struggling to give it a fair assessment because I'm currently looking at an article which says Brighton should have had a penalty at Tottenham for Hoiberg <laughs> tackle on Mitoma admits PG MOL and apparently Howard Webb has said yeah. that they should have had a penalty. Yeah. So, you know, it's difficult for me to say it without that hindsight. But I've got to say, when I was watching it on Match of the Day, I, I didn't think it was particularly obvious error that that wasn't given as a penalty, uh, you know. But at the same time, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been turned over. I think in the same way as you said when Matoma scored his goal and he knew he'd handballed it, you could tell in his body language that he knew it was going to be disallowed. To me, there was something in this that looked like he wouldn't have gone down if he didn't have to, if he hadn't been hurt, if he hadn't been stood on in his defence, because I think he was in a good position. He, yeah. I think most strikers instinctively would have tried to take the ball on and shot there. Okay, there were a couple of players in his way, so it wasn't like a, a one-on-one, but a player like that, you'd expect if he had any ability to stay on his feet, he would have done. What do you think about that, Instantelio? In real time, I didn't think it was a penalty. In real time, and once again, right in front of me, I thought that Hoybier did get the ball and he clearly mm. didn't from the replays, but I thought in real time he had got the ball and that the player just got taken with it. But on the replays, it does look a penalty. It does look like, well, apart from the fact that Hoybier doesn't get the ball, it does look like his his boot does go into the back of the guy's ankle. So I can understand why Brighton are upset about that one. That said, and I think we've had a chat about this recently, and I certainly have with Dave, 
incidents that have to be slowed down to realise whether they're a foul or not. Are they... It's clear and obvious. Yeah, is it clear and obvious? Is that actually mm. is that actually a foul? So, yeah. listen, at the end of the day, Hoiberg definitely did kick the guy, so I think it was a penalty, but at the same time... Once again, I don't care. We've had all so many against us. We've had we, <laughs> this we is had, the thing. Right? We had the Richarlison offside. We had so yeah. many that I really can't feel sorry for Brighton for that. And yeah. that's not any kind of antipathy towards them. That's just because I'm so tired of being on the receiving end of it that it's nice to actually get one in our favour. Yeah, every team will feel like they're in the same boat with us, won't they? Everyone will feel like they're always going to have more that go against them than go for them. But, you know, the fact that the, the PGM have come out and actually apologised for this and said that they got it wrong. Where is this for us? We've had so many where we could have... Well, I would love an apology. I'd like to be talking about replaying games because the decisions were wrong, for God's sake. Where, where has this come from? I don't think VAR is going anywhere. But I do think, no. and, and this is, I'm, I'm turning this into a bigger conversation, but I do think, because I was at Stamford Bridge midweek, the Chelsea-Liverpool ball draw was happening in front of me. Was, I was actually watching the Leeds United Forest game on my phone. But there's a couple of incidents of VAR with checking. And, I mean, obviously, Elio, you, you know this already, and a lot of people who are listening will know already, but that's my first real experience of nothing happening in the stadium whilst somebody is checking something that they're not allowed to show on the screens. Yeah. It's insane that it takes so mm. long to basically just ratify something that's obviously ratified or yeah. try really, really, really hard at the slowest replays and a million and one angles to try and find fault. They've got mm. to speed it up. It's not going anywhere. They've got to speed it up. And if speeding it up means, which I think, I, you know, Elio's just said, we've talked about it before. I think it's the most obvious solution is to just say, look, you get a certain number of minutes, a certain number of views or a certain amount of time to make a decision. And if you can't make that decision, then it's obviously not a clear and obvious mm. error, is it? Yeah. And, and I think I think that's the most straightforward If it takes way. 10 minutes, how can it be clear and obvious if it takes more than 10 seconds to exactly. be like, yeah, obviously that was a foul, or obviously that wasn't. Or Let that was them a choose three angles that they want to view it from once and only in full speeds, not slow-mo. And then yeah. if they can see a clear and obvious error from that, they overturn the referee's decision. And yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not even bothered about the slow-mo, to be honest. I think I know everything looks worse in slow-mo, but ultimately, if you're looking at it once, twice, three mm. times, that's it, then it doesn't matter how fast you look at it. You know, you can tell if it's a clear and obvious error and you can make that call. And I think mm. until until we do that, then it's just not, it's just not going to be accepted by the uh, match going public, and it has to be accepted by the match going public because it's a part of the game now. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Eddie, but I'm very much looking forward to us replaying the 2019 Champions League final against Liverpool and an apology for the handball against Sissoko being issued on the back of this. If this is what if this is what football is now, maybe we've got a chance for a trophy. I want an apology from Mark Clattenburg for Pedro the, um, for the Pedro Mendes one that crossed the yeah. line. <laughs> And how, and how while Howard Webb's issuing out apologies, he's probably got a few more to send our way, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think so. I mean, definitely for the non-penalty when we were two in the lap at Old Trafford. Yeah, they all seem to involve Man United, don't who they? The, who was the referee when Frank Lampard's goal did not cross the line and got given again? I don't know. I was at that game, though. I was at that game. I remember it. Um, and again, I had no idea what was going on. Um, but yeah, ironically, I think Frank Lampard is the reason we have goal line technology, isn't he? From his goal against Germany that wasn't given in the World Cup. But anyway, I don't want to give Frank Lampard credit for anything when Dave's around. So we'll move on from that, shall we? The next talking point, of course, is our goal. And it was all started by 
Alvaro Romero winning the ball up high and closing exactly. down and doing what he does, doing what we love to see him do, being aggressive, coming out, winning the ball and releasing Hoiberg down the wing. And if Son's goal was a trademark Son goal, this was a trademark Harry Kane finish. I think it's a good deflection on the way in, right? No, don't be silly. No, no? I did, you're joking. I'm joking. Um, you did take a deflection. <laughs> I, think, I think the move was lovely. I think Romero winning the ball the way he did was great. I think Son picked out the pass really well. And Hoiberg, credit to him because I don't think he had a good game at all. But he did look up and find Harry when a lot of players would have just hit it across the box for hopefully Danjuma to get it and probably ends up being intercepted by a centre-back. So good goal all round, bit of fortune in the deflection, but I don't care. <laughs> for the what, fourth time is that this episode? I don't care. <laughs> Cry me a river, Bryson. Who cares? This is football. And you know what? I say this when we lose. I say this when we win. When it goes in our favour, when it doesn't. I think part of the reason that football is the greatest sport in the world is that the best team doesn't always win. And it can be controversial. Things don't always go the way they should. It's not played on paper, Elio. It's not Someone played on paper. I mean, if it was played on paper, then we'd win the game because we have the, uh, in theory, better yeah. sides. But and we come, we come third in the league, right? Ostellini very complimentarily, complimentarily. As Stellini very that graciously said, that doesn't as, sound like it should be a word, as, but it probably as, is. As Stellini very graciously pointed out about Deserbi and Brighton pre-match, they are very well coached, so they are a team that probably does play beyond some of their parts a lot. But what I would say is, we probably didn't deserve to win the match. Potentially, we deserve to lose, but not. I don't care again. Though I don't care, but. Um, <laughs> I don't really remember too much by way of clear-cut, because if we're saying the two disallowed goals were rightfully disallowed, goals that are disallowed don't count as chances in when everything's sat up anyway. They're not considered sort of shots on targets in those instances. If we're talking about the two best yeah. chances they had aside from that, one was a long shot that Lloris tipped around the post. The other was a long shot that hit a post. So... Nothing actually in terms of getting behind our defence and creating something clear cut. And to me, if a team, if you're ever going to call a team dominant in a football match and say they outright deserve to win, they were robbed, then mm. that team should surely have gotten behind the opposition's defence a few times and created a few genuine high XG chances. And I can't remember Brighton doing that. You love XG, Elio, don't you? you just I love, love XG. XG so um, much. You'll be delighted to hear. I've just had to check this up because I, I needed to back you up on this, but complementarily is a word. Okay. It is a, it is a, a real know. adverb that exists in the English language. Dave, did you know that? Complementarily. No, that's, no? A, that's no. It's educational podcast for all of us. Yeah, we like to educate on this podcast. We certainly do. So yeah, that was a winning goal and it leaves us in not too awful a position. And it's worth mentioning now, Harry Kane has, what is that, 23 goals this season, which is... I mean, we talked about Son and his 100 goals in the league, but that's outstanding. Uh, unfortunately, Erling Haaland must have heard us talking last week and saying that Kane was catching him and decided to come back from injury with two goals of his own. So uh, I think the golden boot is probably in, in his hands for the time being. But we'll take 23 and counting from Harry Kane. Uh, and we'll certainly take three points at home against Brighton, which leaves us fifth. Yeah. Which, Elio, you suspect is probably where we're like most likely to finish. Well, we're three points behind Manchester United and Newcastle. Better goal difference than Man United, worse than Newcastle. And both of them have a game in hand on us. We have both of them to play. So it's looking tough. Yeah, I think it may well just come down to 
our games against both of them, much like the title might be decided by Man City Arsenal's upcoming game. Um, speaking of Arsenal, did anyone catch Gabriel Martinelli's dramatic play acting, falling down, clutching his face when a Liverpool player's boot went within about half a foot of his head? That has received significantly less media attention than Harry Kane falling over after actually being struck in the face. No? Anyone see that one? It's, it's maybe, quite entertaining. Maybe he broke an eyelash to quote Sean Lodge. Well, I mean, he may well have broken an eyelash, but yeah, it, it just it just comes back to the same thing to get the tinfoil hats out again no one cares when it's an mm. Arsenal player no one cares when it's not Harry Kane brushed under the rug very quickly but yeah that amused me I don't I would, care I would I would <laughs> Elio doesn't care <laughs> yeah go on Elio doesn't well, care about anything say, we've established Elio that. doesn't care but what I would say that if Arsenal don't win this league your tinfoil hat chat is going to pale into insignificance of Arsenal fans' tinfoil chat. And I think that's something that's <laughs> worth waiting for. Uh, and and that's to be honest, that's the only reason that I don't want Arsenal to win the league, because I want to hear all of that in, in, in all its glory, um, because I can only imagine it being absolutely glorious. Well, anyway, moving on. Manchester City need to win nine games to win this league. Would you bet against them winning nine games in a row, the way they're playing right now? I mean, Jack Grealish is in the form of his life, Elio. Someone called him a myth of a footballer a few weeks ago, and he seems to have taken note. Well, he responded. Good on him. Yeah. Elio, you're, good, you're a great man manager. You're better than Conte. You know, Definitely I think if you, if, you, if you came out with some of your rants that you do on this podcast in the dressing room, you'd really get players fired up. But I'd probably not escape with my life. <laughs> you'll get beaten up or sacked. Or <laughs> Most footballers are quite exactly. a bit larger than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. It's okay if you're Vincent Company tearing into your team like that when you're six foot three, but yeah, maybe not. Anyway, moving on to our next game, which is. Bournemouth at home now Dave I'm looking at this fixture and I'm thinking as a Spurs fan we're we're on a roll at home we keep winning at home three or four consecutive wins Bournemouth and Bournemouth they're not particularly great relegation candidates newly promoted side we should be winning this comfortably can you please bring me back down to earth and tell me why maybe I'm getting a little bit carried away with a slightly more nuanced answer than because you're Spurs if that's at all possible um, and tell me what threats Bournemouth might be able to put forward well, actually, I was going to go the other way. So three reasons, oh, yeah? that, three reasons that you should win this game. Mm. One, Bournemouth's form currently is win, loss, win, loss, win. So guess what comes next? Oh. <laughs> okay. um, Bournemouth's next three games after you is at home against West Ham, away against Southampton, and at home mm. against Leeds, which are the games that will define their season. So they may be looking at those instead of looking at this game. Okay. Three, it's at home for Spurs. So I'm 100% putting money on Bournemouth to win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that thanks. some emotional hedging, Dave? It's, I mean, it's an emotional hedge, but it's also a smart move. Um, <laughs> ultimately, I'm not relying on anybody to do anybody any favours in this Premier League, especially not Spurs. Anyway, Dave's been doing this podcast for 67 episodes now. He knows how it works. He, he might as well be a Spurs fan at this point. He, he's seen too much. I mean, he said us and we about Spurs enough times. He so. has. That's it, yeah. He certainly has. He certainly has. I think for his next birthday, we're going to get him a Spurs shirt with plus Dave on the back. Uh, <laughs> Elio, are you, are you confident about this game? Dare I ask? First of all, if we really... <laughs> Really want to hit him where it hurts we get his son a spurs shirt and we keep getting his son spurs shirts and his daughter until at least one of them ends up a spurs fan has he settled on a team yet is he definitely a leeds fan now because no, i know he was talking he, about he, palace he, and they look quite good right now he's he's very much 
in the phase where he just wants other people to be happy. So <laughs> when like I'm around, he, he likes Leeds. When his grand's around, he likes Palace. And he's got a couple of friends who are Chelsea fans and, and a couple of friends <sighs> You've who, are, mentioned that before. Uh, who support other teams. Yeah. And, and he's just like, I just I just want everybody to... If, if it's teams that my friends like or teams that you like, I just want it to be a draw. So, you know, I think he just enjoys football, which is quite nice, isn't it? But he has a Leeds shirt and he doesn't have any other club shirt, so... I don't think football's for him. I think he's too level-headed. I think if you're going to be a football <laughs> fan, you need smart, to be a sort of partisan maniac yeah, who thinks at- that the Premier League's out to get you. Yeah, I'm getting him a tin hat and a, and a yeah. book on how to shout at clouds. And then uh, Elio, Elio will teach him all he knows. Don't worry, we'll, we'll drag him down <laughs> with the rest of us sooner or later. I guess in terms of the Bournemouth game, I can't see why we should lose this match, which is why yeah. we probably will. It's okay to say that, though, isn't it? I feel I feel bad. Like something in my mind, an alarm goes off, a red flag goes off, when I say we should win this game because I've seen too much. But we should win this game you comfortably. Know what? At that, Bournemouth are a nice kind of team for us to play because they're not particularly aggressive. They're not particularly physical in the way they play. They're sort of a go down with dignity mentality rather than sort of <laughs> resort to the philistine arts of Sean Deitch's of this world. So uh, that usually works in our favour. We're far better against a team that we might be able to tickle their bellies than not, um, in the same way that the better teams than us like playing us to have our bellies tickled. So um, hmm. Bournemouth have always been, or since I've been aware of them, since they got promoted the first time all those years back, they've always been a bit of a Spurs light. And I don't really yeah. see that that's changed particularly much. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm moderately confident, but... Let's see what happens. I mean, we've got an opportunity because Newcastle have a very tricky fixture against Aston Villa right before us. Depending what happens there, we could close the gap on them with our match. And we're playing before Manchester United. So if we win against Bournemouth, then we'll be above them on goal difference ahead of their game on Sunday, um, which is just the sort of situation Spurs love to screw up. But yeah. I'm going to be optimistic on that one. I think we'll win. I think it's worth mentioning as well on Man United, actually. They they do have both legs of their quarterfinal of the Europa League coming up against Sevilla and they've got the semi-final against Brighton of the FA Cup mm. too and if I'm not mistaken Marcus Rashford is actually a doubt for the rest of the season now he's got a groin injury which it could take him out for a few weeks at least or potentially could be even longer so they might be under it a little bit so you know who knows maybe we could actually put a bit of pressure on them I'm not willing to rule out fourth just yet Elio. I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm not ruling it out but I'm relying um, on injuries to other players but other than that I think we've got a chance I mean Villa are actually very close to us Villa are very good I mean I mentioned last week Villa are I think the third most informed team since the new year they've got good players I mean Watkins since Emery came in has gone from having something like 0.1 goals a game to 0.65 goals a game I mean he's a good player Bendia's a good player alright it didn't work out for Danny Ings over there but they've also got Mm. um, who's the midfield Douglas Luiz he's a really really good Mm. midfielder Lucas Dina's been a one of the best left backs in the Premier League for the best part of a decade now. Like, yeah, they're mm. they're littered with with good players. So so I think we shouldn't be worried about them, but we should definitely not get cocky either. Oh, you mentioned Watkins. He was my captain in FPL last week, and it paid off thanks to a 95th minute goal, which I was very happy <laughs> about. Should Harry Kane be my captain this week? Dave, <laughs> emotional hedge. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, if you're going to emotional no. hedge, then you need to put... Cap, need to, I do indeed. Well, Holland is playing Leicester at home. Billing so is a good I, player. I, my, my current captain's armband is sitting on Erling Haaland. I think that's probably a safe bet. Those things stand. Well, that's more or less it for this week. I mean, I don't know if anyone else had any particular things to add. Elio, I don't know if you've managed to put together a challenge Elio this week. I feel like we've been dropping those off the end of our episodes recently. <laughs> might have to bring one back soon, but have you got anything for us? I don't this week, but I'll try and get one done for next week, all right? How's that, that sound? That sounds absolutely fine, and I'm sure everyone can look forward to that. I did have one thing to add. Are we counting this victory as a Stellini victory or a Ryan Mason victory? Because mm. technically the winning goal and the victory came after Stellini had been sent off and Ryan Mason was managing us. Well, if Mason's our manager next week and we're playing Bournemouth, which he will, which he will be. be, and we're playing Bournemouth and we win, which we should do, then Mason might re-establish himself as our greatest ever manager, overtaking Stellini in the process, I believe. We shall see. You in. guys are desperate for Mason. Is there any... <laughs> news on our managerial hunt I feel like there's not been a lot about Spurs manager over the last few weeks have there been any um, any comments any rumours anything circulating I know it's all speculation anyway at best there's a lot of noise about slots but that's about it yeah fair enough okay well we will see Dave do you have any closing thoughts or are you just fed up of football and want to pretend it doesn't exist anymore and move on just to say happy Easter to everyone. Yeah, happy yeah, yeah good had a point. nice long happy weekend. Happy Easter to everybody. Hope you've had lots of food and booze and chocolate. Just enjoy the, the rest. rest of the bank holiday. Well, obviously, it'll be come and gone by the time you guys, uh, everybody is listening to it, but I'm just going to you know, have some quiet time. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Maybe we'll some championship football because, you know, it's always a good day, Bank Holiday Monday, for the championship. So here's a nugget for you. Today in the championship, Neil Warnock's Huddersfields were 2-0 up away to Blackburn, having had 18% possession at that point. Wow. It finished 2-2 in the end, but at the point that they went 2-0 up, they had 18% possession <laughs> in the first 22 minutes of the match. Is that not the most Neil Amazing. Warnock statistic you ever heard? <laughs> Amazing. Somewhere, Jose Mourinho is watching that with a massive smile on his face. Mourinho, the Portuguese Warnock. Oh well, you know me, me and me and Jose. Yeah, yeah, he has, way, way, he has way, been, way. been known as the Portuguese Warnock. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think that is enough for this episode, guys. Thank you as always for joining me. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you will join us again next week, where we will be walking through all of our seven goals against Bournemouth at home that Elio has been <laughs> watching in front of his very eyes. A hat trick, a piece for Kane and so on, and then um, a bicycle kick from Romero from the edge of the box. Join us for that. That will be a blockbuster episode follow us on twitter at plus dave podcast you follow me at plus dave dags elio at elio underscore p underscore thfc and dave at fantasy dave it's been another good week for spurs we're still in the top four race despite some people not being convinced that we're going to get it elio doesn't care about anything i still care about a few things hopefully you care enough to join us again for next week's episode until then stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you next week (laughs) 